0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode of Everything is the Best is brought to you by the House of Chanel. Chanel introduces a new generation of sustainably developed skincare infused with a high concentration of ingredients and derived from the uniquely revitalizing winter-blooming red camellia flower. Packaged with lightweight glass, organic ink, and other bio-based materials— Numéro 1 de Chanel forges an unprecedented path of skincare innovation. Numéro 1 de Chanel, beauty ahead of time. To learn more about the line, visit chanel.com. Hi, this is Pia Barancini and welcome to Everything is the Best, the podcast where I get vulnerable and make others do it with me. The goal here is to deep dive into interesting people's journeys, finding common denominators, and hopefully making you feel not so alone. So let's laugh, let's cry, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Hello, my darlings. Welcome to this solo pod. If you hear this sound, my favorite little sound, jingle of ice cubes in the glass, it's because I'm sipping on a... Keto's water with lemon. It is what? In, you know, the first week of February. So sober January is over. And that leads me to the answer of my first question, which is how did sober January go? And it, it, it went very well in the sense that I have now realized that I do not want to drink more than twice a week. Right now I'm only drinking once a week. And... It failed in the sense that I drank twice during that month. But I have to tell you, I really felt this after two and a half, I think about, yeah, two and a half weeks. I just felt so much better. And like the desire to, let me tell you something. My days are fucking busy. And like everybody, I work my ass off. And I get pulled in a million different directions all day long because I have so many different jobs. And so there's this, even if I'm sitting in the same fucking spot all day, which I have been, and I need to figure that out too, because I need to like use my, I need to, I've taken like four steps today, but like even if I'm sitting in the same spot all day, the franticness of my day is, it's, insanely stress inducing. Like there are times where I feel my cortisol spiking and I have to take a deep breath and be like, you dude, you got to fucking calm down one thing at a time and stop freaking out about everything because it's like, I'll answer one email. And then I'm like, over here, I'm in the process of buying the house from my mom, which by the way, everybody who like posts a photo on Instagram and is like, we bought a house. How did you do that? And how are you not talking about how insane it is? Also, there are so many fees, like other fees outside of like actually having like a down payment, which in itself is like a giant feat that should be celebrated with like ease. And it's not because there's all these other fees. And I get really frustrated when somebody tells me like a prep, like, you know, my mom was like, well, the escrow fees at the end, I go, go list, go, go line by line, read You know, it's like oh, a fee for this, a fee for that insurance, whatever. And then, and then it was like the escrow fee itself. And it was like five grand. And I was like, I'm not paying that. <laughs> like that's a made up, that's a made up fee. Like someone just put a price on it, you know, like that type of stuff annoys me when people put like a random price on things and I can't see, like, I need you to prove to me what the what that 5 grand is doing. It's you sitting down and processing stuff, but like what's your hourly rate? How many hours is it taking you? Can you prove to me that you're better than another escrow person? I need like I need to I need to understand the math behind this. So, anyway, that's like a whole thing which like, you know, I like was approved and then I was like not approved for the loan. And so now I have to like get rid of a car lease. Because the, all, all the car leases for everybody are under my name because I have the best credit. Davide has like no credit. My mom does. My mom's credit's horrible, and so they're like, "You got to get rid of a car lease." Like, what? Okay. And then I have to like rush and do my taxes because my income is cr- like it's just it's so wild. And then also like, how is everyone affording their taxes? <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, I'm just like, I work so hard, and. Like it just made me realize that like everyone you're looking at on the internet is like really rich or their parents are helping them because I'm doing this with no help and it's like impossible. Anyway, that's like one thing that I'm doing that's very stressful. So because I get torn into a million and then the baby, right? And then it's like, my mom is here helping, but it's, I don't want my mom, like my mom's not a fucking daycare. Like my mom also is working to try to make you know, ends mean for herself financially. Like she does real estate. So we're just constantly like, can you hold the baby? Can you hold the baby? Can you hold the baby? And then we're like, oh my God, we got to sit down. Like, which is horrible. I don't want that to be Carmela's life, obviously. So then we'll sit down and we'll hang out with her and go over shapes and try to teach her things. And then it's, and then I have LPA fittings and then I have the record a podcast. And then I have Berengini and Porn and Co. And then I'm on Half of David's meetings, I'm in the meetings, you know, because I run Gia with him. So whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, I don't want to busy brag. I'm, what I'm saying is I'm getting pulled in a bunch of different directions. So once she wakes up at 4.45, it's dinner, bath, bottle, bedtime by six. And usually that is like when I am dying for a fucking cocktail, Or wine, because by that time I'm just so wound up and like the ease of slowing down by feeding her and then putting her in the bath, which is like the cutest thing in the world. And then sipping on a cocktail, all of a sudden I just feel like the onion layers peel off you know, I'm just like, oh, there we go. And I'm just like, chill. And it's become something that I've depended on. So it was like one drink and then I'm like, oh yeah, I'll definitely have a second. And it's like, oh, open a bottle of wine at dinner. And then all of a sudden I've had like three or four drinks and it's 1030 and I go to bed and it's like, wow, like that's a lot of alcohol to consume on like a random night. So Sober Jan made me realize that rather than going, I'm not going to drink for 30 days and then I'm going to resume my old activities, it made me realize that instead of going to dinner and being like, oh, I'm not drinking when everybody else is drinking and then binging at a at a later date when I'm allowed to, instead of doing that, I thought I'm going to have my martini at dinner as my celebratory drink you know, during this lovely Friday night with people that I love. And then I'm not going to drink the rest of the week. And that has been working. You know, the last like, sorry, it's a short fucking time. I'm acting like I've been doing this for a year, but the last like, you know, four or five weeks and that's a good chunk of time to make like a nice new habit, right? It takes like 30 days. So I feel really good about that. I have no plans this weekend. It's usually when we go out now when I, you know, decide to have a drink. And so I'm going to sip on this little vodka cocktail during the solo pod because honestly, solo pods make me very nervous. That's Cheryl snoring. God forbid he get locked up in another room. You'd think he was like <laughs> getting sent into a torture chamber. So I'm going to answer some of these fabulous questions that you guys have asked. One of them was advice to, for moving to New York in your early 20s from the West Coast. And I have to say, I didn't, you know, obviously this was a long time ago. It was a really hard transition for me. I spent my first six months, honestly, very depressed. And I remember my friends calling me like, you're in New York city, like go to a museum. And it was like, okay, how many like museums? Can I walk around alone by myself? And what I, what I missed clearly was community and just friendships and feeling like I could go somewhere and people knew who I was and I felt safe and, so I ended up hanging out what is now, you know, a pretty legendary bar that is, is closed, but it was called the Max Fish. And that's really where I got in all my trouble. But I'm really thankful that I that I hung out there. You know, I hung out there and, and other little cool spots around downtown and walked around. And once you, I made a couple of friends, I really learned to just, I mean, I would do, listen, I would trade. I say this now with this gorgeous weather, but honestly, like I don't mind the fucking cold. I would, try, I would definitely, if, if a great opportunity appeared in New York tomorrow and I wasn't concerned about my mom's life, like if I didn't feel a little bit responsible for my mom, I would have no problem living in New York tomorrow. Like it's, you're so isolated in LA. LA is fucking insane. LA has the most warped sense of reality in the craziest sense of the word. Truly like reality here is, is completely warped. And in, in New York, you have obviously that same element, but it's coupled with Normal people everywhere. I mean, it's just, inc- it's so wildly diverse. And, you know, unless you live on like the upper east side or west side or something. And, but even still, like you're on the street and you are face to face with people of all different ethnicities and backgrounds. And, and it, it's, it's, there's no comparing. I mean, I could, I could be, oh my God, Monday through Friday in LA. I see nobody. I see my husband and my mother and maybe a friend if I make a plan. And if I go on a walk in my neighborhood, I don't see anybody I know. That would be insane. I don't, I, I, one time in the last like two years, I saw a a girl who's around my age who has a baby around Carmela's age because I see her dog at the dog park. But like, there's no community here at all, at all. Our neighbors across the street have lived there my entire fucking life. And the the grandkids, I think, or the son, I don't know, it's an older man and younger people moved in that are clearly related to him and have been there. And they have a fucking bulldog. And I hear the bulldog all the time. And they live in this really pretty house with a gate and the dog is at the gate barking. And like a couple of days after they moved in, I was like, oh my God, I think the bulldog is like here to stay. And I brought Chi-Chi across the street. And the woman yelled at me to get away from the gate. <laughs> <So, laughs> I was like, what? You I, Like I live across the street. She's like, the dog's not nice. I'm like, what do you fucking mean the dog's not nice? It's a bulldog. And I have a bulldog with me. Like I was like, what? It was just so, so while it is, it seems intimidating, you know, You can go anywhere in New York by yourself, which I did multiple times a week and bring a book and have a meal and spark up a conversation with anybody and find your people along the way. And you totally will. And if not, oh my God, I was friends with like every bartender at every restaurant that I would go eat by myself. And like, that was great. And that made me feel wonderful. There was a little cafe called Brown around the corner from my first apartment forever ago. That was wonderful. Owned by this like chic Argentinian man. And like, I remember all the employees in there. And then sometimes they'd be like, let's get a drink. You know, there was just, there's just, it's fucking awesome. Every restaurant is wonderful. There's a great restaurant on every corner. Like while it is completely different from the West Coast, I would soak up every single second that you are there. If it's short term, especially because being able to like run into your bodega and be friends with your bodega guy is just a dream being able to go to the corner to a cute little restaurant, pop into your local bar, run into people you know on the street, just cruise around New York by yourself with your headphones on, crossing streets like Carrie Bradshaw. It's the it's fabulous. It's like adorable. You never know where the day's gonna take you. I never felt unsafe there like I do here. I feel like there's a murderer outside my window constantly. In New York, I was like, someone try to fuck with me. There's 45 people looking at me at all times because you're in a community. I just loved it. I really, really, really loved it. Another question I've been getting pretty often was, is how to find joy again after a miscarriage. And I get DM'd this a lot, which I think is just, I feel so lucky that, that strangers are confiding in me in something that is insanely personal and really traumatizing. And I'm going to tell you what kind of got me out of a, you know, the, the depths of those emotions. First and foremost, like, nobody talks about miscarriages and everyone says this, right? Nobody talks about miscarriages. So you don't, you're not realizing how often this is happening. So it's constant. And, And there are some women who, I mean, we all have a really hard time with it, right? But there were a few women who I brought it up to who are very tuned in, you know women that have multiple children who are very sensitive, very nurturing, very motherly who when I said oh I had a miscarriage had said to me very clearly like very simply like oh yeah I had I had two or oh I had one or oh yeah it's just your body's way of getting ready for the next baby it's so simply and I was like oh like and, and I realized that those women were very tuned into like divine timing. And it was like, yeah, that just also, it was also women who were really tuned, it's two women who are really tuned into their bodies. And they were like, yeah, your body's way of, of saying this is, I mean, it's literally your body's way of saying like this egg, this little feet, whatever's growing inside of me is not strong enough. So I'm going to do you a favor and we're going to start over. And if you, if you think about it in that, term and those terms and thank your body for the work that it's doing. It's not a failure. It's a win. Right. And a lot of these moments feel like failures because you assume that there's something wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with you. There's actually everything right with you. I hear so often now, and I was talking about it with my chiropractor last night because she's doing this uh, Mercier therapy, which I've been getting every week, which she goes in and she massages around your ovaries and she opens up your uterus and she just started doing it. And you have to do, I think like five sessions, like, you know, spread apart by a week. And she just started doing it not long ago. And she said, I have my first Mercier pregnancy you know someone had gotten pregnant after doing mercy therapy with her and I was like oh my god that's a dream and she's like this is a woman who's had failed IVF's and i and i said i'm so shocked to hear that because you'd think doing IVF it's a guarantee that the baby that's implanted is going to stay and she said no it's not and and i know multiple women who've done IVF And it hasn't stuck. And I know multiple women who've done IVF and then had a baby naturally. I know tons of women who've done IVF and it's worked great. I know tons of women who got pregnant the second they wanted to get pregnant. Nothing makes sense, right? And so I had a friend do IVF and it didn't stick. And she called me and she was devastated. And she's like, I'm so tired of this. This was supposed to be the answer. This was supposed to give me my baby. Like, do you have any advice? And I just thought at some point, you just have to say, this is God stuff, right? It's just God stuff. We can only control as much as we can control. We can use every doctor. We can utilize all the science. We can do everything we can to say, I want this to happen and it needs to happen now. And why isn't this happening? And it's just a moment where (laughs) for some reason, whatever greater power says, it's not your time and that's not your baby. And your baby's going to come when they're supposed to. So... I think kind of going back to that as much as you can and realizing that like you will figure it out. You will have a baby at some point, you know, if it's not you naturally, there's always adoption, which is something that like we're very interested in, in doing at a later time, you know, it's something that needs to allow room for grace. So I say, I gave myself, you know, I miscarried on I think it was a Friday. And I cried Friday night. I cried Saturday, Sunday I felt better. I we went to lunch, I left the house. Monday I went back to work cuz I just wanted to get my life started again and I gave myself those days to cry and I acknowledged that my hormones were in an extraordinarily heightened state and, you know, that obviously contributes to the horrible emotions that you're feeling. And I just said, that wasn't my baby. And now I look at Carmela. Oh, it makes me emotional. I like stare at her all the time and I'll just be like, Oh my God, I did it today. I said, it's you. Cause you know, I've been pregnant before I've been pregnant a few times in my life and I have one baby. And it's her and she's the one that I was supposed to have. So you'll have that moment, you know, and I think it's just, it just comes down to grit and resilience and grace and making room for what I just always say is like God stuff, you know, I really think that's important. I love, oh, we get, I get so many funny questions about Day, and I get a lot about how we support each other mentally you know, I think a lot of what David and I, I don't know. I don't want to feel like I'm a, like, I think back right now to moments when I was pregnant or moments like before I got pregnant, I used to do this thing where we would fight and I would start crying and I would shut down and I'd be like, this is a mistake. And I think back to that now, like, why was I, why was I doing that? And then, I, and then I'll think back about why I was doing that. And like, you know, there are times where I have like, you know, my, my parents had me way later, right? I have four siblings. My dad was married before. He had three kids. He had my sister. He had two boys. And then my mom was married and she had a boy. And then they got married and had me. Spencer was the youngest. He was 12. My sister was 20 at the time when I was born. So they're much older than me. And there was definitely, you know, a lot of like, what is, why is she here? And, you know, I was like a physical manifestation of two divorces and like blatantly in the face of adolescent teenagers and young adults. And I don't think, you know, now obviously we're all cool. (laughs) Now we're all cool. (laughs) But, you know, there were definitely like comments thrown around for a long time about why the fuck I was here and being annoyed that there was another child and all those kinds of things. And subconsciously, you know, I never really dealt with it. So subconsciously there, I think was definitely a lot of, I have a lot of like guilt about my presence, which I think is really odd. Right. And then, you know, we all put this shit on ourselves. and then, you know, Davide giving up his job to move here Like there were just, were a lot of times in my, and you know, I'm not like an easy light person. Like I'm an intense, I don't know. I just like when we would get in these fights, I would shut down and I would think to myself, like life would be much easier for a lot of people if I wasn't alive, was kind of like what I would put my mental headspace into. And that was really negatively affecting our relationship because instead of listening to what he was saying and his very clear needs, I was he, like upset that he was upset. I would turn into a victim. I would shut down. And then I would say our whole relationship is a mistake, which was just like really weird and immature. And I don't know when that ended or what stopped that. And I'm thankful that it's <laughs> that it went away. I'm definitely in like a happier place, but that's something that I realized was like just a lot of my self projections onto our relationship. And now I really feel like we have gotten to a place where we really see each other. We, we don't allow for that type of behavior or conversation anymore. Like if he has a bad day and he's like coming at me and there's a lot of it's very, I'm very like, I love you so much, but like, I'm not here for that. And we kind of set up boundaries with each other and everything else is just really, really supportive. And that's a choice. Because, you know, even yesterday he came home from work and he's exhausted and there was kind of like shit everywhere. And he was, he was, he walked into the house and he kind of had this weird look on his face and I was like, what? He's like, I work all day in a space that I work really hard to keep organized. You know, you're here, your mom's here and we have a housekeeper and the house is a fucking disaster. And I wanted to yell at him and I started to yell at him. And then I thought like, you're right. Like there is clearly there's something like our system isn't working, you know? And and a, the house being a mess is clearly like my, it, it's a reflection of my mental state. And so it's really like checking myself instead of being defensive or like wanting to attack him for feeling attacked. Like there's, a, it's really kind of like, there's such a different reaction to saying to someone, oh God, you're right. I'm so sorry. I fucked up. Oh God, today was crazy. Honestly, I don't like it either. I'm going to work on it. Like there, you don't need to just like, I don't know. I think a lot of our reactions are to, to fight automatically with people. And I really feel like if I don't snap at him and I treat him with respect, it just becomes reciprocated. And it's been really a really nice thing. Another question was how to become confident as a woman in a business world where men are often, you know, have the upper hand. And I said this at a panel once and I mean it, and I will say this till the day that I die. I've never in my, I've only worked for women. I've never felt, you know, I've never had a man in a work environment be condescending to me. I've never felt like I had to prove myself as a woman in a workplace. The only people who have fucked me and been competitive with me and who have not wanted me to win have been other women, always and only. So that's not something that I identify with at all. I see it, obviously. I don't think it's okay. I have a lot of my girlfriends call me companies that they work in, especially real estate, especially like big commercial real estate, very male dominated, especially when women start having children in those environments, giving these like, you know, that, that type of stuff. I see it's fucked up, but it's not my story. I have only ever been around really intense women. Half of them, so supportive and wonderful and ball busting and great to work with and only wanted to train me to be my best self. And a good amount of them, very competitive, really cunty, unnecessarily competitive. Yeah. And listen, I'm not somewhat, you know, when it's, I don't, this is why I don't like this whole like women supporting women. It's like, some women are mean. Like, some men are mean, some people who don't identify as anything are mean, and some people are really nice. So I just think it it's all, it is what it is. But I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, I think we put these blanket statements on everything and nothing is simple. Everything is incredibly nuanced and every scenario, everyone's perspective is completely different because none of us grew up the same. So I think we have to start really thinking that we're oversimplifying these like very large topics. And I think this is like why you see like comment threads get so explosive because we are all so different and our perspectives are all so different. And everyone's point from their perspective is totally valid from their point. You know, obviously to a fucking reason, of course, within outside of racism and violence and all of that. Absolutely. But, you know, I think that like I'm saying, I can't speak to that, but... I definitely think that that yeah, women have been have been more intense. I got a lot of really really cool, interesting messages about like per- personal finance, and that's something that I'm just starting to figure out. I actually have a lot of cool Instagram stuff coming up, and a couple of cool partnerships because with companies that I felt helped me a lot that are really useful that I reached out to to say like can we work together on some programming because yeah like you know I I noticed that I was behind in a lot of conversations like you know I where I grew up are a lot of people that definitely have a lot of family wealth and I you know my dad was a dentist and you know made a very lovely middle class brilliant Thankful, wonderful. Yeah, I had a great upbringing. I was able to live in a beautiful house and I went to school, I went to private school, and that was a dream, right? But my dad had no clue how to manage his finances and make smart business decisions, which is why by the time he passed away, they didn't have any money. And, you know, a couple people stole money from them. And, you know, one of his best friends was you know, he was investing in this company and it wasn't real. And, you know, there was like a lot of really bad things that happened that could have been prevented. And definitely, regardless of those bad decisions, money should have been in other places to have a, you know, a retirement. My dad wasn't able to retire like he, you know, was working up until he died. And so, I'm now working with a couple different companies and people to put things in place. I am now on a budget. I'm putting things in accounts. I now have life insurance. Nobody has life insurance. I'm trying to get that life insurance to grow to a certain amount because I just found out that after five years, if it's up to a certain amount, you can literally borrow that money. I have an IRA. I recently made sure I signed up for my 401k. I'm putting money in different retirement, like non-taxable retirement accounts. Like, You know, and it's hard because this is like I'm I'm putting my I'm having to spend way less and make sure that money is on a monthly basis going into those accounts, making sure I have a cash reserve that keeps us safe, and then you know having another account that makes sure that I can have fun money to play with and put in the stock market to make my money make money. And those are all things that I have no fucking clue about, and I'm doing this because I was very. you know, tired and embarrassed of being in rooms of people who have, you know, multi-generational wealth being like, oh, well, you have that account for your kid, right? And me being like, what? No, I don't. And they're like, well, what does your financial advisor say? And I'm like, what fucking financial advice? Like my family didn't come with a financial advice. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, you know? And then going back to my normal friends and being like, yeah, we're just trying to like not hit zero in our checking account. And I'm like, yeah, what word? I get that. Like, so I'm like been in between these two worlds where You know, up until recently, I was just, of course, like paycheck to paycheck and like now I'm 35 and I'm married and I'm trying to buy a house and I have a baby. And so it's time to put my ass on a budget and be smart with my money and put them into smart investments and smart accounts. And it's all shit that I have no fucking clue about that I'm learning about every day. And as soon as this is all compiled properly, I will be discussing this at length on Instagram and wherever I can, because... I think it's a shame that it isn't taught and I think it's a nice I think I think the system is set up that way to keep poor people poor and rich people really rich. Mm. That's my thought on that. A lot of questions about my boob job. I haven't really done a deep dive of that, and I'd love to talk about it. So I believe this is 5 years ago now. I can probably look it up on my phone. I hadn't, was someone who never wanted to get a breast augmentation. It was, I liked, I had like sexy small tits that were cool and I never had to wear a bra and I always thought it was chic. <laughs> like I loved it. And as someone whose weight has, you know, fluctuated up and down many times, my very cute small boobs began to be very, you know, I don't know. They looked like they look now, ironically, which is like as if I had breastfed a child. And I have a family friend named Dr. Gavami who, you know, at some point when I got old enough, I was like, you know, whatever, let me like go in and we can talk about stuff. And he was like, listen, we can like my boob jobs are easy. They're quick. They have no recovery. You're like in and out of here. And I said, you know, I'd saved up some money He, like, obviously, between friends here, he obviously gave me a fucking homie deal. I wouldn't, like, I'm very lucky for that. Um, You know what's really funny is I had Eli Russell Linitz take photos of my boob job. (laughs) He took, like... Eli is like a very big photographer. He just became one of GQ's designers of the year. Like if you saw ASAP Rocky at the Met Gala wearing that big quilt, like that's Eli's brand uh, before he had a brand. He's been a brilliant photographer for a long time. He's done a lot of Kanye stuff, Lady Gaga. I mean, he shot everyone for everything. He's the fucking best and we used to hang out all the time when we were neighbors in Venice and single and being wild and cool and he would come over we'd take baths together and i just miss those days and i love him and he's wonderful and i was like do you want to photograph my boob job and he was like totally and he like took these incredible photos of the surgery which i need to get and post eventually. I want one framed in my bathroom actually. But so I, I got this boob job. And so my, my deal was, which you guys are going to think I'm crazy. I never wanted anything that was so shallow to take me away from work. I worked hard to save up to afford something like that. And I just thought like, what kind of person would like miss it? I don't, I mean, most people would, cause it's not safe, but I was like in my messed up head. I just thought to myself, I can't Like to miss a day of work, to do something that's like so self-indulgent and shallow was just made no sense to me. So the surgery is only an hour. Obviously you go under. So, you know, you got to stay and hang out for a while to make sure you're safe. You can't drive yourself. Mm. But I had a meeting that afternoon, an important one, like, you know, a big monthly meeting that I had for LPA. Um, with the execs, it was our monthly check-in to see, you know, how my sales were for the month, wins, losses, making sure production is on time, exciting, you know, activations coming up, what I was planning for the next few months, past activations, decks on how those activations went, uh, the whole thing. It was a big presentation. I would do it every month. And the only day that I could get in from a boob job was the same day as my monthly meeting. And I didn't want to... Reschedule my monthly because I just thought that was like why I like I can't like ask executive like I was so I did it in the morning and went to my meeting in the afternoon and I had my mom come and pick me up and she drove me to my office downtown and sat in the car and I was like I'm gonna be an hour you know the 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 meeting is obviously timed they're busy so it was I think a 45 minute meeting. And I was like, mom, would you mind like waiting for 45 minutes? She goes, absolutely not. No problem. You know, whatever. She brought her laptop and did work in the car, <laughs> connected to Wi Fi, <laughs> did her work. So I had my job. My mom picked me up. My mom drove me downtown to my office. I went into my meeting. I had my full 45 minute meeting, did my presentation, nailed it, went home and then relaxed for the weekend. And then like went to, back to work on Monday and, um, and you know, I definitely feel weird about having a foreign object in my body at certain times, and then at other times, I'm like, whatever. I didn't had no problem breastfeeding. I would not have. I don't think I would have done it if that was going to hinder any sort of breastfeeding. And now, and and I I did a TikTok about it, and I and I said, you know, everyone said get your boobs done before you have your babies because so many women i know got their boob, got boob jobs done before they had babies because your boobs get big obviously and then a lot of the time you have to get like a lift which is way more expensive and a very like it's a full surgery that like requires a lot of recovery. So in my head, I'm like, I'm going to go in for this quick boob job. My boobs will get big when I'm pregnant and then they'll go back and there'll be like an implant in there. So they don't, you know, they'll just look more teardroppy. And I've seen it on a lot of my friends and their tits look fabulous after breastfeeding. And I was like, I want that. This is great. And I'm not going to have to get whatever. It didn't fucking happen for me like that. My boobs (laughs) are not... In the place I thought they were going to be. My implant is sitting very high up on my chest, and the skin is hanging over, you know, the skin is also very like saggy on top of it. <laughs> they look fine to the to normal people, but like, you know, in real life, I'm like, oh, this is not how these are supposed to look. So I'm gonna wait, obviously, until I have another child and then figure out what the game plan is there, take the implants out, maybe. Put some fat in there. I don't know. But I kind of put myself in a situation (laughs) that I have to dig myself out of. (laughs) And I hope all of you aren't rolling your eyes saying what a shallow asshole I am. But it was something I wanted to do. And uh, I'm going to have to do it again. And, you know, I think like it's, yeah, I don't know. My relationship with my body is also, it's so... in. I, I, I've i been working in fashion for 15 years at this point. So even when I was at my thinnest in terms of like the fashion standard, I mean, when I was doing PR and like working in a showroom all day long at my thinnest, I couldn't ever fit a sample to save my life. And I, I we're so lucky at this point to see visually all the time more inclusive bodies and to have clothes that are, you know, for a wider range of bodies. And I just didn't have that in my early formative years of fashion. So I'm always going to be, I mean, I feel great now. I love like, I'm trying to get back to the weight I was pre-pregnancy, which by the way, was probably like 15, 20 pounds heavier than I was at my wedding I was on, you know, I had gained weight before I got pregnant and, you know, I've been talking about my weight loss journey because from a health perspective, I've been told by two doctors that, you know, I can't, I'm at the, you know, I'm I'm at the, I'm still, well, now I've lost 20 pounds, but I was the weight that I was coming out of the hospital after having the baby. Usually, you know, your body naturally Can sheds weight. Some people's don't, everybody's fucking different. But, you know, I was told by multiple doctors that seriously advised me that it's, you know, would be in my best interest to not then get pregnant at this weight because this is my pregnancy weight still, you know? And so to add to that, I could have a pregnancy that probably put me in a gestational diabetes situation. So, um, You know, I always operate from, and it took me a long time to get there because I always now operate from a health perspective. What my doctors tell me is what I follow. Before it was, I don't care like what unhealthy thing I'm doing to be thin. And now I obviously know that being thin doesn't matter. But by the way, here, I'll tell you this. I, I never was like, being thin was like never anything I I wanted, it was really hard for me being called names openly from the time I was in high school, open comments about my weight, especially in showrooms, like, oh, that'll never fit Pia or like, oh, it's a shame that we can't just try this on Pia. Like, you know, and then working in fashion offices and working for clothing brands at times where like the extra larges wouldn't fit me. But by the way, like I always say this, like if I was out with a group of girls. In New York, like any of my girlfriends who were all like stick fucking thin, and we were out on the town and there were men around. Like, I was always the one getting laid (laughs) or like getting a number or whatever, because like I've just always been so fucking confident, like no matter what my weight was. So, like, nothing makes you feel better than the reality of being like, okay, in my office all day long, like. I'm being made to feel a certain way by a bunch of fucking assholes. But like outside of the office, when it comes to like actually like being a human being in this world, like nobody ever had a problem with my weight and I never fucking did either. And guess what? The men fucking loved it. So, and women. So it didn't matter. Like that was always how I like measured how I was doing was always by my confidence. If I was in a weird fucked up place, like when you are in a happy, good place, like, it's just law of attraction. I would attract everything around me, and when I was in a dark place, I would go out. I would leave. I would be in weird. You know, I could see people either you know not wanting to mess with. You, know, you can like feel it when you're having an off night. Like you know that you you're an adult at this point. If you're listening to this podcast, like you've had bad days and you've had good days, and you know when you're feeling yourself and you know when you're not. So, like the that type of stuff, like, has always fucked with me, but, like, it's never because of me. Like, it's because of other bullshit that people have said to me. And, like, that's been annoying, you know? Mm. Or literally, like, not having the option to dress how I want to dress because nothing fit me. But it was never... Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I just am so thankful for Instagram and for TikTok and any sort of social media platform now because... Like when I look at TikTok and when I look at Instagram, I see such a wide range of women being celebrated and mostly celebrating themselves so purely and with joy and confidence. And that's something that we didn't have before, like at all. So I'm definitely, I, I, I've i always said this, like even if it's a night that you're like, feel like, ugh, I don't feel good. Like, fake it till you make it. Because as soon as your energy is felt and it's, it can just be reciprocated. Like, when you walk into a room, people read that in two seconds. Like, two seconds. I, I've, I i can not tell you this enough. I, it's my biggest life fucking hack. Be confident. Fake it if you have to. like, I've been doing a bad job of it lately. Or I was after the baby. And now, like I went out last Friday. I put on a dress that was definitely too small for me and it was see-through and I had cute underwear on under it. And my hair was like not in the best, you know, my hair was kind of greasy. I like put it back in a ponytail and I was like rushed to go to dinner. And I was like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't have put this dress on. Like, oh, my hair doesn't look its best. And like I'm definitely going to like a popping restaurant tonight. And I Literally said before I got out of the car, I was like, oh, do I look okay? And Davide's like, you look beautiful. And I go, that's all I need. And I walked out of that car and I walked to the table and I walked into a room of people who loved me. And I was like, this is all that matters. I have friends. I have health. I have my husband, whatever. Everything is all good you know, it's, I do that in meetings. I do that when I walk down the street. I swear to God, the only reason why I was able to walk from, I walked everywhere in New York. And this includes walking home very late, very drunk, very young all the time. And I'm not recommending this and please, but I, but I swear I was always really aware you know, I knew when I had to call it and take a off, but I was always very aware of my surroundings. And I always walked really confidently. I swear to God, there is something to walking down the street confidently, always, no matter how I'm feeling. And I see like, I'll see like my nieces do it. Like, well, they'll just have this body language where they're Already feeling, you know, it's teenagers, I get it, where they feel kind of insecure and they're like, shoulders are slouched and they're holding their arms over their like flat stomachs, like they're fat, you know, like not that being fat is bad, but you know what I mean? Like where they're like ashamed of their bodies. And, and I'll, I'll like look at them and I'm like, what are you doing? Put your arms by your side, put your shoulders back. You got to learn to be in a room and stand there with your feet on the ground in in, in a moment of pride for yourself, even if you don't feel like that. <laughs> because once you start to, once you train your brain to forget that like, oh, maybe this dress is too small or maybe my hair doesn't look its best or maybe I don't have whatever, like once you get that out of your head and you're focused on just living and being in the moment and it's a whole different world. It's a whole different world. I swear to God, I don't know if I'm explaining it properly, but that is truly it's like, I do it every day. Like I'll be questioning myself before a meeting or questioning myself before I enter a podcast or questioning myself before I walk into a room or questioning myself. and like, I get nervous in front of Davide. Like, I mean, we live together. Like there's, there's no, he knows, he watched, he helped pull a baby out of my vagina. Like he saw, like, I'm pretty sure I pooped. Like he's seen everything. I know the ins and outs of his body too. Oh my God, I got hemorrhoids when I was pregnant and he had to like help me <laughs> like, like we've seen everything. And I still get nervous. You know, there's like a couple of nightgowns I put on when I'm definitely trying to say, like, I'm trying to get down tonight that are kind of like, you know, little like hello flags to him. Like, and if he doesn't pick up on that, like I I totally get nervous. And he will still say to me. Like, your energy is weird. Like, when you're fun and you're light, and I hear this so often, I'll end on this, and this is another topic that I get asked a lot and comes up with friends, is like, you know, once you get over the, we just met and we're having sex all the time stuff, and you get married, you know, a lot of married couples, whatever, every fucking couple is so different. Some couples remain insanely sexually active all the time. There are couples that I'm friends with that I'm shocked how sexually active they are still. And I'm like, you guys have like adult children and you're still going at it like four days a week. Like, that's incredible. Like, there are some people who like, shock me. We're a very like average, normal couple. And... I will tell you that like oftentimes I'll like talk to my girlfriends and one of them will be like, oh, like I haven't had sex with my boyfriend in like, you know, a couple of weeks. Like, I don't know what's going on and blah, 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 blah. And then they turn it into something that's going, like, it's like, what's wrong with me? It's not like me. And then this like bitchy attitude starts to like get around and like, I'm the queen of doing this where like when there's a moment when it's quiet, like the baby's asleep and we're in bed, like I'll start like picking moments where I'm like, okay, if we're not having sex right now, like this is a perfect moment for sex. And if it's not happening, like why isn't it happening? And am I not attractive? And it's something I'm doing. And like, does that mean that we're not connected? Like, have I lost my spark? Like, has he lost his spark? Like he's not attracted to me anymore. Oh my God, I'm a mom. He's not attracted to me anymore. And literally there are times where I'll go through that and he'll look at me and he'll be like, what's wrong with you? Like, are you okay? And it's so clear that I'm in my head and he is reading that energy so clearly and picking up on it. And that shit is not attractive. It's not. And then if we were to get into it and you say like, oh, we haven't had sex in a while. Well, nothing's going to make your partner not want to have sex with you more than bringing up how you're not having sex. So again, fake it till you make it. (laughs) Because if I am being loving and warm and feeling myself and being positive and smiling and laughing and hanging out and enjoying myself and enjoying my husband, guess what happens? We connect because it's an open channel to do so. And he's had a long day. He doesn't want to deal with any heavy stuff. He wants to come home and have fun and have a fun time with his partner. And obviously there's a lot of layers to that. And obviously it doesn't mean that I'm supposed to put my insecurities aside for him. That's not what I'm saying because he hears me deeply talk about all of my insecurities constantly and is a wonderful supportive person and letting me know that those things don't matter. And then I'll say they matter to me and he'll say, right. Your feelings are valid. So I'm not saying be dismissive of feelings. What I'm saying is if I'm feeling like I'm not getting something from him that I want, especially if it's a sexual thing, me bitching about it and being mopey and being mean to him because of it's not going to get it. So if I'm like, you know what? I'm annoyed that this hasn't happened, but Bitching at him is not the strategy. I'm just going to be cool. I'm going to be like, "Hey, do you want to do this tonight? Why don't we go to a movie? Do you want to watch this? Let's have fun. Let's turn on some music. Now I'm dancing. Do you want to have oh, have a bottle of wine? You know, just lighten it up and make it fun. It it allows more room for the fun stuff. I hope that makes sense. Okay, I love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. I hope this rambling session was good. You guys, I get so embarrassed when I do this and everything I say. <laughs> after my after my rant about faking it until you make it, here I am like, is everything I said stupid? Ugh. Thank you guys for always being so supportive and understanding how often I say like, What are my two biggest pet peeves that I do all the time. If you are so inclined, if you have enjoyed this podcast, if you have enjoyed any of my podcasts in the past, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a review. I hate to ask, but it's not like a big time sucker. You can do it really quick, just rate and review. And it really, really helps. You know, this is a large part of my life sharing this time with you guys and to have it be reciprocated even just a little bit would mean the world to me all right thank you guys bye and that ladies and gentlemen concludes this week's episode of everything is the best i hope you enjoyed it please rate review subscribe all that stuff maybe leave a comment but remember shitty comments are for shitty people Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at Pia Barancini, And I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous rest of your day. Love you. Ciao.